Lord, that is so true, that we are all coming in and something we share is this preoccupation with all the things that have to do with me. But we want to be, like Charlie just sang, consumed with thee. So as we enter together into this space, we just lay all those things down. All those plates we've been spinning all week, the challenges we face, the fears we have, and we lay them at your feet. Because we've been so much like Martha, but you've told us that just one thing is needed. And so we look to you as our one thing. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you guys, but I, this week, am still uh, working through in my mind and just still in shock about what happened in Charlottesville a few weeks ago. And you have heard it said that if you are not outraged, you're not paying attention. But I think the outrage for a follower of Jesus is deeper than a political perspective. It is deeper than a patriotic love for country. It's an outrage at racism and racism's direct opposition to the gospel of Jesus. Racism is about valuing one race above another. Jesus came to the world for every single person. The scriptures say every nation, tribe, and tongue. So the heart that believes that one race is more valuable than another is a sinful heart like all our hearts in need of God's transforming grace. In his book, Bloodlines, John Piper says this, the bloodline of Jesus Christ is deeper than the bloodlines of race. The death and resurrection of the Son of God for sinners is the only sufficient power to bring the bloodlines of race into the single bloodline of the cross. It's interesting, I don't know if you saw this week in Time magazine, author and pastor Brian McLaren spoke of his time in Charlottesville, marching with other clergy in a peaceful um, protest uh, that weekend. And McLaren describes the alt-right movement as an alt-religious movement. He describes the uh, white nationalists movement as an alt-religious movement. He says that they are providing a disenchanted people, group of people, with three things, identity, community, and purpose. And he points out that's what religious communities do. They provide a sense of identity, this is who you are, a sense of community, a social place of belonging, and a sense of purpose, a spiritual sense of why my life matters. And in that article, he says this, if faith communities don't provide these healthy, life-giving human needs, then death-dealing alt-religions 
will fill in the gap. In Charlottesville, he says, I saw Nazi flags on American soil and alt-religious fervor in the faces of American Nazis and white nationalists. Aristotle was right, he said. Nature indeed abhors a vacuum. If we don't provide emerging generations with the genuine identity, community, and purpose through robust and vibrant spiritual communities, somebody else will do so. If good religion slumbers and stagnates, bad religion is the alternative. Today we're wrapping up this series called Losing My Religion. And his final words there, good, if re good religion slumbers and stagnates, bad religion is the alternative, really st stuck with me because throughout this series we have been saying religion has its place. It just needs to be kept in its place because religion, tradition, the offerings of a faith community like ours are meant to be like a signpost pointing the way. So it would be absurd, we've said, for us to drive up to Frisco this afternoon and sit down under the signpost for Mount Royal and sit under that sign pointing to Mount Royal and come home and say, we hiked the trail. No, we didn't hike the trail. We just sat under the signpost. And the same could be true said of religion. If, if religion is like a signpost, but if I just come to church and say, well, because I'm a part of a church, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, God is on the trail. God is on the mountain. And we've said through this series that a lot of this has to do with control because God's spirit is like a free-flowing river that is never controlled. Always free, never controlled. But what does religion do? Religion stands in a dry canal where God once was flowing, and religion demands that God move there again in the same way, at the same rate as he did in the past. Now, God may move there again, or he may not. But by standing in that dry canal demanding this is how God must move, we are in control. Richard Rohr says the opposite of faith is not doubt, but control. Religion stands in that dry canal demanding in a place of control God must move here in this way as he did before. He may, he may not, because he's a free-flowing river who is not controlled. So just a quick review of what we've talked about in this series. Losing my religion this month has been all about engaging God, not religion. And the first week we talked about engaging God, not others. And we talked about how sometimes in a celebrity Christian culture, we can go to conferences and hear about people's experiences with God. We can listen to podcasts and hear about people's experiences of God. And we can think we experience God by hearing them talk about their experiences of God. But that's their experience. That's not my experience. So we talked about engaging God, not others. Because when I hear somebody else's experience of God, that's like a rumor of God, not a firsthand experience. Second week, we talked about engaging God today, not yesterday. And we just simply said that a lot of times, if somebody says, like, why are you a follower of God in the way of Jesus? A lot of times, many of us would say, well, because we'd referenced something in the past. I grew up in a Christian home. 
in college I had this experience. Well, it's because I was baptized. But we talked that second week about how the presence of God is in the presence. That the presence of God is in the presence. So engaging God today. And then last week we talked about another sort. We could see these as ditches of religion that we fall into. Last week we talked about the ditch of getting so busy for God outwardly that we neglect our interior lives. And I told you that my vision for you and for me is that you so would develop your inner life that people would say to you, just being in your presence is enough. It's not what you do per se. It's not what you say per se. Just being in your presence is enough. Of course, what we do and what we say flows out of who we are. So that focus on engaging God inwardly, not just outwardly. And today I want to wrap up with kind of a last ditch that you can fall into, and we, we do from time to time, um, and that's engaging God, um, engaging ourselves rather than engaging God. So this is the question. Have I made my works my Christ? There is a modern humanist, not Christian, idea of the willpower being supreme. So it kind of comes up in our tendency uh, to basically think hard work can accomplish anything. And that sounds like a good thing, right? Hard work can accomplish anything. Sounds like something I would teach my children. Work hard. So what's the problem with that? The problem is when I apply that humanist, not Christian, idea to my faith. And I begin to think that I can control God. Like if I work hard enough at religion, God has to bless me. So my life's not going well. I haven't worked hard enough at religion. Now, this is such a subtle thing that happens because this hard work ethic is so modern. It's so, it's so prominent in our thinking, and it subtly infects our faith. So I want to read you some quotes from some famous people. And I just, as you hear these, I want you to think about what you know about the teachings of Jesus and how Jesus talks about our faith and how it may be different than these. Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Audrey Hepburn said, nothing is impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. Napoleon, whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Emerson, the only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. And Michael Phelps, there will be obstacles, there will be doubters, there will be mistakes, but with hard work, there are no limits. Now these quotes, they're not bad quotes, but they are willpower quotes. Willpower has a place in life. The problem is willpower impacts our view of faith. Willpower is about being in control. Faith is about throwing myself utterly and completely and totally on the mercy of God. Not just once, but ongoingly.
faith is about throwing myself on God's mercy and grace. It's not about trying harder to prove that we're such great people. Now, there's a conundrum as soon as you start talking about sort of this willpower, hard work ethic, and the teachings of Jesus, faith. Immediately, it's like the question pops in my mind. So, do we just throw out effort altogether? Like, don't even try? Like, why even try? And I think Dallas Willard sums up that conundrum very well. He says this, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Do you see the difference? Grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. See, in ancient times, you had ancient paganism, which basically was this idea that we can earn the favor of the gods through lots of sacrifices and lots of gifts. So we're going to give the gods, we're going to sacrifice to the gods, we're going to give the gods gifts, and then the gods will have to bless us. That's ancient paganism. Now, there's a modern, J.I. Packer says, there's a modern-day paganism that infects the church, which is basically when we have our own way of trying to earn God's blessing and favor in our lives. And how do we do it? Churchianity, church involvement, morality. We think our respectability will put God in a position where he has to bless us. We're such respectable people. That is what he calls modern paganism. It's basically where we are still trying to earn God's favor through our effort, through our actions. Now, in the book of Galatians, Paul is like, whew, when it comes to this, everything is at stake. Everything is at stake. The question is, do we keep God with us or does grace? Because the problem for the Galatians is, if you would have asked some of the Gentile converts in Paul's day, like, how is this adventure in your new faith going? They might have responded by saying, look at all these great things we've added to the program. Like, we're getting circumcised now, and we adopted all these Jewish holidays. The reality was that all those modifications had put everything at stake. Were they going to know God by God's grace or by their own efforts, by their own works? Were they engaging God or were they just engaging themselves? And Paul is shocked because they had come to know Christ freely through grace, but now they're trying to earn and basically earn the right to keep him in their lives. And so he uses these strong phrases in Galatians. He's like, who's bewitched you? How are you so foolish? And they had been foolish, but Paul also says, you're still brothers and sisters. And his solution wasn't complicated. He just sent them back to how they began. He just sent them back to Christ crucified, relying on the Spirit. And I think there would have been a lot of relief for some people who had begun their journey of faith based on grace and in that freedom, and then had started working to earn God's ongoing involvement in their life, I think there would have been probably this sense of like, we've been tricked into thinking now it is about us. Um, I read an interesting story this week. There's a missionary, Herbert Jackson, who was on the mission field and he had a car. And this car uh, had one problem. It did not start 
unless it got a jump start or a push start. But this missionary was, didn't have a lot of dollars and he found a way to make this work. So what he would do is every morning he would go to the school, he'd get some kids to come and push his car so it'd start. And then throughout that whole entire day as he was out on his rounds doing his work, he would either always park on a hill so he could get going that way or he would just leave the car running if it was a short visit. So he is operating for like two years with his car like this. And it's like, he's like, this is an ingenious system. It works. This is how I work with this car. Well, his time to leave the field had come, and a new missionary family came, and the new missionary was kind of learning the ropes. And so Herbert Jackson says, I got this car. Here's how it works. It doesn't start on its own, but if you, you know, push it, it'll start. If you park on a hill, and then it'll start. The new missionary pops open the hood and is like, oh, Dr. J Dr. Jackson, this, this car, it just has a loose wire. And he reconnected the wire, fired up the car, no problem. That is exactly like you and I looking to our works, like going through life, basically with our good ideas and our ingenuity thinking, like this is how my relationship with God works, when all along, God's Holy Spirit is available. We just need to be connected. Everything is at stake. Do we keep God with us or does grace? Coming to faith in Christ is about a relationship, not works. We kind of know that. But growing in a relationship with Christ is about nurturing an ongoing connection with Christ, not working hard in our own strength. Um, I want to share one story as we close. Uh, it's kind of this question of, are we too busy to play with God and be with God? A guy I know recently had this interaction with his seven-year-old daughter, Zoe. So Zoe's seven. She's very angry about a lot of things. She's angry about her room. She's angry about her clothes. She's angry about her school. She's angry at her mom. She's seemingly angry about everything. And my friend Todd was kind of like over it. And he uh, just was not in a space where he was interested in knowing the root issue of what was going on with his daughter. He just wanted like snap out of it. And that kind of put them butting heads, and it sent Zoe deeper into her anger. And so finally, she just started attacking her dad. And she was like, why don't you like me? Why are you always mean to me? Why do you never do anything for me? You don't even care about me. And Todd, the dad, got kind of hurt and defensive, and he went, launched into a rant. And he was like, not don't care about you, don't do anything for you. I've lined up all these play dates for you this summer. I took you to the beach. I took you to the aquarium. I make your meals. I clean your clothes. I do your laundry. I do this. I do that. I even got those books. I ordered those books for you that you wanted in that new series. You and he's just like going, laying it out. And he didn't notice that her face had turned from like angry seven-year-old to kind of sad and disappointed. And when he finally like noticed that she, her countenance had changed. He just stopped his little rant, and she said, 
Dad, I just wanted you to play with me. You have been so busy lately. Like he was so busy doing things for his daughter, he had forgotten to take the time to just be with his daughter. And I wonder if that's the heart of God towards us too sometimes. Like you're so busy doing all these things, learning all these things, I really just want to be with you. And that connection to me is always available. When you wake up in the morning, I'm there. And as we walk through the day and you face challenges you don't think you have any solution for, I'm there. And when you put your head on the pillow at night, I'm there. I wonder if God just wonders sometimes, would we just be with him? You know, Donald Miller said the most important thing that happens within Christian spirituality is when a person falls in love with Jesus. That doesn't happen just once. Because the heart of following God in the way of Jesus, it's not a, the, heart, the heart of it, the essence of it, is not a creed, not a set of philosophies. It's, it's not your involvements. It's not your efforts. The heart is an ongoing personal connection with the living God whose love for you and I knows no limit. And that's what it looks like to engage God, not just religion. So let's pray together as we close. Well, God, these words from Galatians, may they be more than words in our lives. Would you plant them deeply in us? May they take root and grow in our minds and our hearts and our lives. God, help us to not just walk away from this series and forget it, but to meditate on your words, to obey you, to follow you, to nurture our connection with you. God, may our lives be built on the rock that is you. Every other foundation is like shifting sand. We love you, we need you, we surrender our wills to you. As we pray, not our will, but yours be done. Amen. As we prepare to come to the table in communion, to dine with God, to share a meal with him, to have a community uh, reading, I'd like to invite you to read. I will read the leader part, I invite you to read the people part. Lord, hear our prayer. God, we confess that we have sinned against you, thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us. We may delight in your will and walk 